Hallelujah. We are going to go over this last series, this last message in this series. We've been talking about just why we're here and why we exist as a church. I'm going to talk about this today, and then Ashley and Carly will be here, so I won't be preaching. But then when we get back, uh, when I get, I mean, I'm not going anywhere, but when I start preaching again, I'm going to start a, this series I'm really excited about, about the problem of evil, and I'm going to, I think it's going to knock your socks off. So uh, it's going to be pretty theologically intense. We're going to go after it and answer a lot of difficult questions to the best of our ability. And so I think it'll encourage you. But, but today, I wanted to wrap this thing up where we were just recasting our vision as a church. And you know that the Bible says in Matthew 6, verse 10, that we're to pray that, uh, that heaven would come to earth, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we go back to the beginning, which we'll do here in a minute, in Genesis, God creates the earth, and then He creates the Garden of Eden. Uh, sometimes we confuse the two. Eden is a big graphic, geographic location, and then the garden is a, it's just a piece of land in Eden. That's what the Scripture says. He planted a garden in Eden. And so, uh, anyway, the garden did not by any means cover the whole earth. It just covered that little piece of land there, but it was like a little patch of heaven on the earth. And we'll see in a minute that God created Adam and Eve, and the intent was that they would expand the garden over the entire earth, meaning that God's influence and love would be spread over the whole earth, kind of like the song we were singing. And so the church has picked up that mantle, that mission. We're here to still spread the love and, and, and goodness of God over the earth. Now, in Romans 14, verse 17, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not a bunch of religious observances or rituals or whatever, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So somebody said joy is one-third of the kingdom, so if you never laugh, you're missing a third of the kingdom. That's probably, probably true. But uh, the point, though, is if, if you take that part out and you just say the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy are in the Holy Ghost. They're all parts of, of what the Holy Spirit does. And so the point is that the Holy Spirit is the one that expands the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you? So wherever the Holy Spirit has influence, influence, not control, but influence, and wherever we're submitted voluntarily to Him, the kingdom of God is expanding. But the Holy Spirit does three specific things that we felt like we were supposed to emphasize as a church. The first one is the wisdom of God. And we saw that in Ephesians 1.17, that the Spirit, it God gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. We exist as a church to help teach people wisdom and people who will teach people. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy to take what, he is, what he's learned and commit it to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So we're a teaching church. We want you to understand stuff, and we want you to be able to teach other people around you. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And then we believe in Acts 1.8 that the, it says that you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses. There is supernatural power in the kingdom of God. There's power to see people healed, delivered, saved from sin, delivered from bondages, uh, to see your dreams come true, etc. And so we believe in the supernatural power of God 
and we believe in going after that and demonstrating it and experience it and, and so forth. So we did those two. I wanted to end on the last one today, which is that Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the who? The Holy Spirit. So if you're experiencing more of the love of God in your life, either for you or for other people or hopefully both, the kingdom of God is expanding for you. Amen? And wherever love is increasing, uh, the kingdom is increasing. So the church exists for us to do two things. Number one, receive the love of God. And number two, give it away. Number one is your primary function. Number two is your secondary function. But both are important. You can't get them reversed. Otherwise, you'll run out of love to give away. We've all met people like that. It's called burnout. But God doesn't want you to burn out. He wants you to burn on. So you do what, what Skyler was singing about. You sit at the feet of Jesus and let Him love on you and fill you back up. And then, and then you go out and you keep loving the people around you. So that's, you know, big picture what, what the church exists for. But I want to show you how this functions in the context of families because, you know, Molly and I are, are family people and we just... We like being with our family, and we believe that that's really the model of, of church government. Bill Johnson always says that heaven's relational government is family. That's its government model. And the moment we step out of family into some other organizational structure, we've stepped out of the, of the kingdom, and I think that that's true. So let's, I alluded to this earlier, but let's go read it. Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, now it's important to notice here, did, did God say just to Adam? No, he said it to them, so male and female. So it's a joint commission. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden and he says, now your task is to repopulate the earth or populate the earth, replenish it, and have dominion, subdue the earth. That suggests that there were elements in the earth that were out of order already by the time that this happened because you can't subdue something that's not at least out of order. God said that the earth was good. He didn't say it was perfect, which is kind of a theological can of worms that we might deal with later or we might not because it's too much of a pain, but anyway, <laughs> no, but the point, the point is this, is that, is, you know, it seems clear in the scripture that, that Satan and demonic forces were already loose on the earth, right? Because they come and they tempt Adam and Eve. And so what's Adam's task? It's, it's to extend the realm of God's influence over the whole earth, right? Well, but he failed in that. We all know that. Actually, they failed jointly. But God doesn't change his mind. And the commission is, as a family, work together 
on this mission. It's not Adam's job by himself and, and Eve's secretary. Uh, it's not Eve's job by herself. It's not their kid's job. It's a multi-generational effort to extend the realm of God's influence over the whole earth. I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what the, what the church's commission is. The church is meant to be a family of faith that, that exerts a multi-generational effort to extend the realm of God's wisdom, power, and love over the whole earth. And I want to further suggest that the problems facing our society and our world today, they, they probably have more to do with the breakdown of families, both church families and individual families, than they do with the lack of supernatural phenomena, revival meetings, or etc. Now, I love, you know, if there's anybody that affirms charismatic phenomena and people being healed and crazy stuff happening, it's probably me. If you've been around, I mean, I, I love this stuff. I love conferences. How many of you love going to conferences? And you go there, and it's like awesome. I went to the conference, and now there's a breakthrough. You know, and that's, that's, right, that's how it is, right? But how many of you have ever gone to, like, kids experience this all the time. You go to church camp. Anybody go to church camp when you're a kid? All right. And, and you get, ha, I can take on the world. I'm going to win my friends of Christ. And then you, you come back, and they're winning you to all kinds of problems. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real, okay? So I, I, think, I think that in our nation, we figured out how to have a week of breakthrough. What God wants for us is, is to have a sustained lifestyle of breakthrough. And that happens in the context of family. Doing life together every day in the mundane, the monotonous, the stuff we face every day, changing diapers and taking care of kids and all these kinds of things. That does not mean, so I'm not, I mean, if anybody's, Pro, I mean, we're about to have a big healing meeting, okay? So if anybody's pro those things, it's me. But, but that's, the, the point is that you take that breakthrough and then, and then leave, live a lifestyle of health. As I get on social media... I've noticed on social media that everybody there makes more money than me. <laughs> and that they've all developed multiple business systems that if I just pay $500, I can join this. And then, and then I, too, will only have to work four hours a week and will have a giant house and a Lamborghini, you know, and, and, and I've also noticed that everybody on there has, has a bigger church than me and has more hair than me. <laughs> and and that, that there are all these, you know, there are, there are all these strategies about how to achieve more. Anybody noticed that? And all, all the messaging is from marketing is it typically is you're not achieving enough Here's this system. You can achieve more. 
And what this does is it creates a tremendous amount of, of anxiety. If you haven't noticed, I mean, I, have, I, I love investing. I love all the numbers, and I like to, I like to you know, get the retirement calculator, and you plug in the numbers, and you look, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make it, or oh, no, we're not going to, you know, and... <laughs> and and, you know, Facebook knows this. I mean, you know, they know I'm a pastor. They know I don't have any hair. They know, you know, they know too much, too much about me. It's unsettling, right? And, and so they know that I like investing. And so they, they litter my feed with all these different people telling me, look, if you invest this way, you'll get, you know, they show you the bar graph and it's like, here's the return you're getting and you're... But if you buy this, you'll get this return. <laughs> and oh God, I'm missing out, you know. And they, they, they prey on the on the fear of missing out, the FOMO. You've heard of this, the the fear of missing out. And and even in Christian circles, there's this sort of driving need to have a bigger church, to have more miracles, a bigger outreach, and none of those things are bad. I'm believing for all those things. But there's, there's just this, this messaging coming from everybody all the time that you're not enough and you're not succeeding. And so-and-so over here, they're, they're succeeding way better than you. Do you notice that? I think that might be why people aren't happy. Because they're looking at that all the time. Now, look at this. Look at this. I want to show you something. I want to balance something for you. And you're like... What does this have to do with what you were talking about earlier? Just give me a second and I'll tie it together. 2 Corinthians 10. Actually, go to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. This is Paul talking about this Macedonian church. And so he's telling, you've got to understand the context. He's telling the Corinthian church about something that happened in the Macedonian church. And he says in verse 1, Brethren, we want you, the Corinthians, to know about the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And then he explains that the Macedonian churches were really poor, but God gave them a special grace to give money beyond their, their natural ability. And it's really awesome. And so then he says in verse 7, Therefore... As you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace that was on the Macedonian church. Okay, so what Paul is doing here is he's holding up an example of somebody that's doing something positive in the kingdom, and then he's saying, you ought to do that. So, is it legal to look at what other people are doing in the kingdom and be inspired and motivated to do what they're doing. Absolutely. In fact, we need to do that. I need to be around people that inspire me to believe more and believe for big. I love Ashley and Car Carly Terrades. They're coming here. They're, they're my friends. They'll encourage me to believe more and believe big, and I like looking about the stuff that they do and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, I don't want to be around people that are going to um, cater to my flesh or encourage me to just sit there and not accomplish anything. No, none of that is healthy. But I do want you to notice it's important what he says. He says, as you abound in everything, so he doesn't say, 
listen to me, he doesn't say, you know, you guys aren't a very good church. And you'd be a good church if you just did this. He says, you abound in everything. You're awesome at everything. Therefore, you ought to be awesome at this too. Why is that different? Well, just turn a couple chapters later, and he qualifies what he just said. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, says this. The administration, that's not, that's chapter 9. <laughs> verse 12, it says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend ourselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What's that mean? It means it's fine for me to be inspired by somebody else's life, but if I'm using their life as the measuring stick for my own, I'm entering into deception. That deserved a better amen. If, if It's fine. I'm going to say it again. If It's fine for me to be inspired by other people. I need to do that. But if I'm looking at all these external things, trying to decide whether or not I am successful in succeeding, if I'm measuring myself by other people, I invite deception into my own life because I'm, I'm making a, a, a false equivalence because I'm assuming that somehow I have the same calling, the same graces, the same past with God, in order to make that comparison valid. And the fact is, you don't. Nobody else has your history with God. Nobody has your, your unique calling. Nobody else has your unique cocktail of gifts and talents and stuff. And, and ultimately, to compare yourself and your worth and your value and, and whether or not you're succeeding to somebody else, you're, you're in deception. Okay, what's that have to do with what we were talking about? I think what this shows us is that trying to achieve all this stuff isn't really what makes us happy. Achievement is good, but if we're waiting, I can tell you personally, I've, I've had to deal with this because I've thought, well, when I get to X mile marker, then I'll, then I'll be happy. Well, that's a fantasy, because when you get to X mile marker, guess what? There's another one out there ahead of you. You've got to decide you're going to be happy now. If you're going to be happy, that doesn't mean you don't move towards this mile marker. So I'm not against achievement. I'm very much for it. But what I'm, I'm worried about is that I think so much of what goes on in the world is insecurity-based achievement. It's trying to do so that I'll feel better about myself. And that's not what Paul taught. Paul taught, feel good about yourself because God loves you, therefore achieve. You're already full, therefore do this too. I don't give because I need to feel better about myself. I give because I'm already, God already loves me and I'm already accepted in the beloved. And so therefore I want to I change the kingdom and, and do good stuff. So what does all this have to do with building a loving family? I want to tell you that in the end, what makes us happy in our life is our long-term investment in relationships. 
Not so much just these momentary breakthroughs. And I can see in my own life that my relationship with God, my wife, my kids, and my family and friends provide me with the most fulfillment. And, and this was sort of, I mean, it's not surprising to me, but I really thought that, that what I do in ministry would bring more fulfillment. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just trying to be real with you, okay, about, about what, what life is like. So, so I've, I've prayed with people and seen miraculous miracles. I've led services where God moved in such crazy ways that like everybody was laid out. And, and, I've, you know, and, and I've counseled couples from you know, the brink of divorce back to, to wholeness and, and things like that. All those things are really fulfilling. And I'm glad I get to do them. They're part of my makeup. But I'll be honest with you, the, the glory on them does seem to f- kind of fade over time. Because it's sort of like an achievement. And you've always, when you're, when you're basing your worth on these various achievements, you've got to just keep getting more of them. The, the converse of that is relationships. And relationships take time. They're, they're not the big bang up front. Anybody have, if you have kids, I mean, the first however months, they can't even smile at you. There's not a lot of reciprocation. <laughs> They're just screaming and diaper changing and not sleeping. <laughs> but, but, that, but you understand, that's where the greatest fulfillment comes from because that stuff grows over time. The glory on that doesn't diminish, it increases. And so the joy from healthy relationships grows, and that's, that's how the kingdom expands. It's through family. It's through family doing life well together. And, and this works in individual families. It also works in church relationships. And I'll tell you, one of the most fulfilling and important things that I've ever done is I, I made a covenant in my heart years ago that I would stay in a healthy relationship with my pastor, Pastor Lawson, that I would love and honor him in any context, regardless of, of um, what happened. It didn't mean I would always work for him. I worked for him for three years, but we... we you know, talk, you know, and he's on our board and he's one of our overseers. He, him and Barbara are like Molly and I, one of Molly and I's um, spiritual parents. And so, so that relationship has been a, a constant source of blessing that's only grown over time. And I've had, oppor- there's always opportunities to let relationships go by the wayside. And sometimes you have to because sometimes relationships become unhealthy. But I've just seen the value of being committed in a long-term relationship in a church family. It really matters. And uh, I think it expands the kingdom. And, and you know, we just, we just love them, and they'll be here in probably April or something. And uh, it's, just, it's just an encouraging thing. Now, I never went to Pastor Lawson and said, well, look, I'm going to love you and serve you forever. Uh, because I know as a pastor that usually when people tell me that, they're gone next Sunday. And so <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to love you and serve you from a distance. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So, you know, that's something, that's something that I covenant I made in my heart, okay? It's not, it's, I don't need anybody to come tell me about that, all right? If you want to do that, you can just, 
You can just do it with your actions. Okay. So anyway, uh, the challenge then is for the church, on the back of your notes, uh, is for the church to find ways to grow together as a family of faith over a long period of time. I really think that's the biggest, the biggest obstacle to the kingdom of God expanding. And uh, I want to read this scripture, Proverbs 13, 22. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Or another translation says the wealth of the wicked is, is laid up for the just. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble here, but I don't, that last portion there, I think, I think a, a not very healthy doctrine has been built on that. So, um, you know, you can disagree with me about this, but there's not a lot of scriptural justification to believe that at some set point in the future, God's going to sovereignly take away uh, wicked people's money and give it to the church. That violates a whole bunch of scriptural principles about free will and how things work. In, Pro- in Proverbs, the wicked person is, is a foolish person who doesn't believe in wisdom. A just person is a wise person. What this verse is saying is that the wealth, the accumulated wealth of unwise people that don't, don't communicate in healthy ways and have good strategies to pass on their wealth, that, that money and that influence and whatever, it's always making its way into the hands of the people that will use wisdom. This is a principle about something that's going on all the time around us, not some one-time future event. Okay, so all the time, money and other things, resources and whatever, are, are making their way from people who are using money unwisely to people that are using money wisely. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, that's, what's, that's what it's happening. And you've got to put it together with the first part. And the first part says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So the difference is, a righteous person that uses wisdom is able to get his resources, his experiences, his values to, get this, to the second generation and the generation after that. Conversely, the wicked person is unable to get all the things that he worked for even to the next generation. That's what the couplet's really about. Now, why is that so significant? He says, the, the, the wise man leaves an inheritance to his kids' kids. In that society, you, you couldn't actually leave your grandkids money. What, what you did was you left the oldest child a double portion, and then you split everything else between the rest of your kids. And you gave the double portion to the oldest one because they were supposed to take care of you when you were old. All right, and so when it says that a godly man leaves an inheritance to his grandkids, what he means is a wise person is able to connect and transfer not just resources, but wisdom and ways of thinking about money and stuff so that it makes it through his kids and it grows and it makes it to the third generation. It doesn't go directly there, it goes via 
the kids. So just, it's not just money, but using money as an example, let's pretend I leave my kids $100,000. The goal would be for by the time they die that it would be $500,000 and they'd leave it to their kids. So the idea is that families have the ability potentially to create a multi-generational exponential growth effect if we can figure out how to pass on the stuff that we've received. Does that make sense? And that's the hard part. That's the challenge. How do we do that? And if you study church history, if you, if you study just biblical history, very often something can make it from one generation to the second one, like David to Solomon. But by the time you get to Rehoboam, everything is screwed up. It's the third generation that's the, that's the hardest. And church history bears that out also. So I think that God wants the love of God in the context of family to, sp to spread over the whole earth. But that requires us to think long-term and to, to pass on an inheritance of values, experiences, and resources to our kids, both natural and spiritual, and then have them pass it on to their kids. So part of the reason we started this church, I mean, we're selfish. Molly and I wanted to raise our kids in a, in a healthy spiritual environment. And, and, you know, we believe it is a healthy spiritual environment. We want them to be part of a family of faith that's, that believes in God and, and it believes in the supernatural, but also isn't, uh, you know, unbalanced and whatever. And, and we're not perfect, but we believe it's healthy and we want to raise our kids here and we want to give them uh, some of our experiences. You know, uh, it was one of the most precious things when Jerry Garcia was here uh, Last year, if you guys know, Jerry Garcia is a missionary in Mexico. He's so powerful, and he's praying for people. Anyway, he prayed for my son, and he was, he was telling me about, he was reminding me about this, about who was that man that prayed for me, and I told him his name. But Anyway, that, that's an experience that I want him to have. I want him to experience the move of God because I know it's changed my life, and I want him raised in a context where, where that can happen so that his experiences with God will outstrip mine and then the goal would be that then his kids, their experiences in God go even further. Yeah. Amen? So, uh, I believe that's the vision. And we're trying to figure out how to do it. And I don't totally have it figured out by any means. But I do have some, some ideas. I'm going to give you seven real quickly of seven core values of communities that are able to pass on an inheritance. I think it's the saddest and most tragic thing in the Bible when, when one generation works really hard for something and then they're unable to, to, to pass it on. Um, one of the worst stories is the story of Hezekiah, who was a great king and brought great deliverance to his nation. But then uh, God told him that in his son Manasseh's rule that Babylon was going to come carry him away captive and destroy everything. And, and Hezekiah just said, well, thank God it's not going to be during my lifetime. That was the wrong answer. He failed to intercede for his son. He interceded for himself, and he got 15 more years of his life. But he failed to intercede for his son, and that, that's really tragic to me. So anyway, anyway how, do we, how do we pass stuff on? Number one, 
We need to live authentically, admitting our faults and working to overcome them. James 5.16 says you confess your faults one to another and, and you'll be healed. And so you just, you, you just be honest with those around us as a family of faith. We all have problems. We don't need to be hiding stuff. We don't need to, to uh, try to put on some kind of super Christian face or whatever. Um, all that stuff, it looks good for a little bit, but then somebody will find out it's hypocrisy and then they'll, they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not what we want. All right? And then Romans 12, 15 says, you're to weep with those that weep and, and rejoice with those that rejoice. So healthy families and healthy churches celebrate with one another and we cry with one another. You can't celebrate, listen to this, if you can't celebrate somebody else's breakthrough, it hinders you from receiving your own. That's one half the equation. Here's the other thing. If you can't mourn in someone else's tragedy with them, it sets you up not to be able to process your own tragedy in a healthy way. So healthy families do that. They cry when somebody else is crying and they rejoice when somebody else is rejoicing. We already kind of talked about this, but we labor in ways to act in ways that are consistent with our values, but we fess up when we fall short. Hypocrisy is not when you fall short of your values. It's an important distinction. We all fall short of our values. Hypocrisy is just when you pretend like you're not. Okay, so, so just, just be real. Just be honest. Fourthly, we don't ignore hard questions. So there are a lot of hard questions out there. There's hard questions about the Bible. There's hard questions about God, about the presence of evil. There's all kinds of questions that people are, people are asking. And, and, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Not, and, and we don't say, well... We don't want to give oversimplifications, but we do want to point people to, to the Word, and we tell people, look, there are, there are answers, and I may not know the answer right now, but we can seek it out. We can get an answer. We don't, need an, we don't have to have an answer that, that, that means giving up our faith, all right? So there's all kinds of answers out there, and so we don't want to ignore the hard questions. We need to be real about them. Uh, fifthly, we encourage people to be the unique person they are while at the same time submitting to God's plan for their lives. One of the things I appreciate the most about my pastor is that he had these three boys and, and they, they all grew up to love Jesus. And, and you know, not, not every pastor has that story. All right, now it doesn't mean every pastor is a bad pastor, a bad father. You can, you can be a great minister and a great father and your kids can still make crazy decisions but it did attract me to pastor lawson because i've known ministers that, that, that their kids didn't love jesus and i i would rather you know uh let the church burn than my kids so so not to be critical i love all of you but if i have to choose between you and my kids i'm going to choose my kids Amen. all right and so, but you can, but Lawson did it in a way that was healthy. But one of the things he did is he never pressured his kids to go into the ministry, to 
meet some kind of standard or something. He just he let them be who they were. And his oldest son is a flautist, which is the technical term for being a flute player. So he's a, a man that grew up in rural Colorado, Cowtown. This is like where I grew up, all right, in small town Kansas. There were not a lot of male flautists <laughs> in small town rural Kansas. I'm sure it's fine here in Johnson County. But he had a gift from God, like his flute teacher. He, he showed him, like, he's like, look, the way your mouth, I mean, I don't know about that, but the way your mouth is shaped, you were created to play the flute. And it like is. He has a, I mean, he's, he has a doctorate, a PhD in music from Rice University. And if you listen to him play the, I mean, it's anointed. It's amazing. And, and so what Lawson did is he's like, well, that's his grace. And he had people come through and criticize. You shouldn't let that boy play the flute. Lawson's like, he's called of God to play the flute. That's, who, that's the grace that's on his life. I'm going to let my son be himself. That's a big deal, guys. And so anyway, and that's why and now, now Aaron's his associate pastor. And uh, they do church together. So I just think that's awesome. Number six, we calm way, way down and stop believing that everything is a terrible crisis that can't be resolved. People have so much anxiety in church and in life in general. Molly and I were talking yesterday and, and people were telling us stories about how they got kicked off a greeter team at some place because they missed a meeting or whatever. And so they're like, they're like, what if we miss this meeting? Are you going to kick it? I'm like, calm down. <laughs> Nobody's kicking somebody off the greeter. If you want to greet, my gosh. I mean, I know, I know, I mean, I know it's, it's stressful, but I mean, the reason, the reason it is people worried about that stuff because somebody did it before. Why is that? Because we live in some uptight religious nut, nut house. I mean, I mean, we got to calm down. It's no wonder our kids, you know, I mean, you imagine, I mean, imagine being a kid growing up in some really stressful legal, I mean, no wonder kids leave the faith. Now, don't feel, don't feel condemned or something if your kids grew up that way or you did. I mean, it, God can fix everything. But I'm just, I'm just saying we gotta, we got to just chill. And then finally, we patiently and lovingly teach both with our words and actions, and we stay committed to our most important relationships. So what that means is you've got to identify in your life what are your most important relationships, and then, you, you, man, you don't let those fall by the wayside. You stay committed to them. There are sometimes you have to let some go in order to preserve the most important ones. And that's painful. But it has to be done. Hallelujah. All right. Is everybody okay? So that was a real pastoral message. So after this, we'll get a power of God message. And then we're going to enter serious theology realm for several weeks. So, so if you like that, you'll be happy. If you don't, come anyway, because it'll help you. <laughs> all right, let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here. I'm going to pray for everybody.
If you need personal prayer in just a second, you can come down and be ministered to. We've seen a lot of awesome things happening. You know, we sent out Tyler and Felicia and, and uh, Paul. And they've already seen multiple miracles down there. Tyler emailed me. They saw deaf ears open. They've seen uh, uh, that they're staying at this pastor's house. People in the town are bringing sick people to the house. Come on. So anyway, when they get back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them testify. It'll be really encouraging. But God's a God. He's a miracle-working God. If you need something, come receive prayer. I'm going to pray for everybody, and then you can come down. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for knitting us together as a family and helping us figure out how to do life together over a long period of time and not just have spiritual high moments, but, but have a sustained lifestyle of breakthrough. Lord, give us grace for that. We just thank you for it. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need personal prayer, come down and pray with the prayer minister. If you uh, want to meet Molly and I, we'll be right down front. Have an awesome week. We love you. Jesus loves you.